Hey everyone, and welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington Church of Christ. I hope this will inspire you and help you grow in your faith as we see God move through His Word. Please stay tuned after to hear more about how you can help partner with us. Enjoy the message. I try to stay up to date on uh, what's going on in the Christian world and uh, maybe some new discoveries, archaeology, or maybe what scholars in Bible colleges are studying. And, I, and uh, to help me do that, I receive uh, sometimes I receive uh, little periodicals like this mag- magazine. And uh, this is the um, opening line of the editor's uh, article for the magazine. We are in crisis and it's one of the greatest crises we've ever encountered. That's how he starts off his magazine. More on that in just a second. Um, is it the worst it's ever been? Is it the greatest, worst time that's ever been? I think every generation feels like it's the worst it's ever been. I met with um, some Bible students at Cape May this past week, and they're all over the age of 70. Um, some are in their 80s, and some are even in their 90s. Um, and uh, I asked this question, is it the worst it's ever been? And they say, yes, this is the worst it has ever been in America. And we hear things like um, the statistic that says this is the first time in American history where more children are growing up without a father than with a father. And we say, wow, this is the worst time in history. But I don't know if that's accurate or not. I think I think it just feels like the worst time. For example, if we go back 100 years at the beginning of World War I, um, there was this battle called the Battle of the Somme. And um, in that battle, it lasted four years. The Allies were only able to advance five miles, and one million men died. In the first hour of the initial charge, 20,000 soldiers died. Britain alone lost 420,000 men in the Battle of the Somme, a battle that lasted four years. Now, they were using uh, techniques from the Napoleon years. You line up shoulder to shoulder, you fire your gun, and then you bayonet charge. And uh, that was uh, a tactic that doesn't work well against machine guns. And uh, no joke. Uh, And uh, Britain did this great thing uh, where they, they said, sign up and go to war with your buddy. And so it would be like our entire church, we'd be a community, some little hamlet or village in in Great Britain, and we'd be a community, and every able-bodied man, we would sign up because we're all brothers in Christ here. We would be the Wilmington Church of Christ Battalion. And every able-bodied man would sign up together, me and my oldest son, you and your best friend, and we would go to war, and every single one of us would die. Can you imagine our church with every single one of the men of fighting age gone. That's what happened in community after community after community in Great Britain during World War I. And I like to think that maybe it's not as bad as it has been. Or 60 years ago, during the Cold War, where President Kennedy's advisors were advising him to preemptively strike Russia with nuclear warheads, all of the nuclear warheads bigger than the ones they dropped in Japan. And I think... I don't know, I might get my statistics wrong. There were 12 cities of, there were six cities of over 20 million people in Russia at the time and 12 of over 6 million, and they would wipe out, vaporize 70 million to 120 million people in one strike in one afternoon. This is what his advisors were telling him to do, and fortunately he did not do that. 
And I, I don't know, do you remember, anybody in here remember uh, duck and cover and get under your desk in case of a nuclear attack? By the way, that will not save you. So I don't know if it's as bad as it's ever been, but I do think that whatever generation you're in, it feels like it's the worst it's ever been. So that's a world picture. But if we narrow it down and we just come in to closer to home, and what this article is talking about is a generational tension and generational conflict that happens. And here is what uh, Dr. Uh, Parsons says. We are in a crisis, and it's one of the greatest crises we have ever faced and countered. It's a problem that has emerged in some ways in every age bracket. And the crisis, simply put, is the divorce of generations. Younger generations have divorced themselves from older generations. And older generations has all but given up on younger generations. He says this is the greatest crisis we've ever encountered. And I think every time a generation goes through this, they feel like it's the worst it's ever been. And I don't know. I asked one of the 99-year-old Bible students in Tuesday Bible study. I said, Miss Jean, is it the worst it's ever been between generations? And she said, I don't know. It feels that way. I said, Miss Jean, when you were younger, did you ever stay out past curfew in rebellion? And she said, with a little bit of a giggle, sometimes on purpose. You know, at first they said, no, it's the worst it's ever been. We didn't rebel against our parents, and we didn't rebel against our grandparents. And I said, really? And then they started thinking about it, and they said, oh, you know what? There was this time that we, and there was this time that, and we got to talking about it, and there seems to be rebellion in generations in every section of humanity as we travel through time. Let me finish this quote. The children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect for elders, and they love chatter in place of exercise. Children are now tyrants, not the servants of their household. Does that feel like the generation divide that we're experiencing? Uh, by the way, that was written by Socrates 500 years before Jesus. See, there was rebellion between generations, and a generational divide and generational tension even 500 years before Jesus. So it's not the worst it's ever been, probably. But it may feel that way if you're experiencing a generational tension or divide. Fortunately for us, God wrote us letters on how to work through conflict and how to work through generational division and how to work through talking about what we don't like about the other generation. Whether you're an older generation and you fill in the blank, I don't like what they're doing, or you're a younger generation and you fill in the blank, I don't like what they're doing, we actually have words from God to help us work through that, if you can believe me. It's in Exodus chapter 18. Now, I love how God, you can go ahead and turn there to Exodus 18. I love how God pulls us out of our comfort zone. He uses the word, that his words that he sent us, letters that he sent, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to get right to the point on how to live with one another. I love how God does that. 
And there are two sections in this story in Exodus 18 that I want to hit today. In the first hour, I just barely made it through one, and we really rushed through section two, and I have a feeling that is going to happen again today in the second hour of worship. Here it is, Exodus chapter 18. This is, if we follow the pattern laid out for us in Exodus 18, we can actually, we can actually bring peace to the generational divide. Peace between grandparents and children and grandchildren. Maybe even great-grandchildren. It's right here. It's amazing to me that it's right here. here. Here's where it starts. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian, and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershon, for Moses had said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other son was named Eleazar, for he said, my father's God was my helper, he protected me from the sword of Pharaoh. So you got to ask yourself, you got to stop right here and ask yourself, why did Moses send away his wife and kids? You know, the second half of 18, I believe, tells us why Moses sent away his wife and kids to go back and live at Grandpa's house. Now, don't read ahead. We're going to get to it. But isn't it the joy of grandparents? Isn't it the joy of grandparents that you get your grandkids in your home. My father-in-law loves my kids. My father-in-law loves my brother-in-law's kids. He loves his grandkids. He likes to have them at his house. He likes to take them through the woods. He likes to uh, take them to shoot guns for target practice and teach them how to be men. He even likes teaching my, grand, my daughter, his granddaughter, all those manly things. He's t- teaching them how to work with knives and, and play with them. And he, he loves having them. And then, you know what the, he said to me one time, he said, Dale, I wish I could have skipped kids and gone straight to grandkids. He loves, and and you know what else he loves? I think he loves this. He loves having the kids in, and then the joy of every grandparent, they get to send them home. He loves that. He loves that. I think that's what's going on with Jethro here. Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, together with his sons and his wife, came to meet him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two kids. Isn't this grandpa bringing the grandkids back? That's what's going on here. This is beautiful. This is what is going on. Now, if you think of this as the worst generation that's ever been, you think this is the worst time that's ever been, you think of that statistic where it says this is the first time in American history that we have more kids growing up without dads than we have kids growing up with dads, then what that means for us is we've got a lot of grandparents raising their grandkids and they don't get to send them home because they're the only dad that they have. How is we, a church, going to help solve this problem? We have to become the parents for these parentless children. And kudos to you grandparents that are raising your grandkids. You are doing the lion's share of the work. You know, we, as a church, we can help, help this. We can help this area. You know, if, if our church's goal 
in 2020 is to help in marriage problems and financial stress and personal health. Part of personal health involves emotional and psychological and spiritual health. Part of personal health involves the physically fit, what you eat, how much you exercise. But personal health also involves whether you have a home that is safe and whether you are providing safety through men who can train up our sons and daughters. You know, church, we can do that. We can be the church that helps train up our fatherless sons and daughters by being a father for them. You know, the New Testament talks about this. Talks about the church stepping in where older women teach younger women and older men teach younger men. You know, this is found, this started 6,000 years ago in chapter 18 of Exodus. I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. Verse 7, so Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh. And who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. For he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron and all the elders of Israel came to eat with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. Let's stop there for a minute. Because I think this first section of chapter 18 tells us how to deal with this generational divide and this generational problem we have. And I want you to know, notice first, how Moses and Jethro, I just have to give a little side notice. I don't exactly know how old Jethro is. Usually father-in-laws are older than their son-in-laws. It doesn't really explain to us how old Jethro is in the text that I could find. Um, But Moses was 80 years old somewhere in this, and he's 80 years old when he goes and faces down Pharaoh in Egypt, and he's over 80 when he comes out of Egypt, maybe 81 or 82, so I don't know if Jethro is older than Moses. I like to think that father-in-laws are older than their son-in-laws, and so I'm going to go with that direction, and I'm also going to go with at least, at the very least, there is a divide culturally because Jethro and Moses really didn't grow up in the same area. They spent time together. They knew each other. But they've been apart for a little while now, too. But there is help here in the text. And the first thing I want you to notice is how they one anothered each other. They one anothered each other. In the New Testament, it is mentioned over 100 times in 94 verses to one another each other. In the New Testament, Mentioned 100 times in 94 verses, one another, each other. And he's talking about the church, one another and each other. 30% of those one another's have to do with unity. Being together, working together, keeping one body of believers. And it says stuff like, be at peace with one another. Don't grumble among one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Accept one another. Wait on one another. Don't bite, devour, and consume one another. 
Uh, don't boastfully challenge or envy one another. Gently, patiently tolerate one another. Be kind, tenderhearted, and forgive one another. Bear with and forgive one another. Seek good for one another and don't repay evil for evil. Don't complain against one another. Confess sins to one another. This all has to do, and there's more, this all has to do with the unity of the body, being unified. It doesn't mean we agree on everything, but it means we seek to have peace with one another at all times, being united under Christ, serving each other humbly through love, sub- submitting to one another. That's what Moses and Aaron did. The other 30% of the one another verses are have to do with love so we have unity stay together this is the best thing you can do keep the peace and love one another act like jesus christ and so 30 percent of these one another's are love one another through love serve one another tolerate one another in love greet one another with a kiss of love and before you go kissing me that was a cultural thing we do handshakes and fist bumps here okay be devoted to one another in love. 30% is about unity. 30% is about loving one another. This follows the pattern Christ gives us when he says the greatest command of all is to love God and love others. When he says a new command I give you, love one another like I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? Well, he gave his life for us. How are we supposed to love one another? Well, we sacrifice for one another if we're going to love like Jesus loved. Paul even writes and continues. He says, the only thing that really matters is going to be faith working itself out through love. And then 15% of these one another's have to do with humility. An attitude of humility Give preference to one another in honor. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Serve one another. Wash one another's feet. Don't be haughty. Be of the same mind. Be subject to one another. Clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. This is what Moses and Jethro did when they met each other. I, Jethro, am bringing the grandkids home. And Moses, he goes out to meet him. Now, this is one of the reasons why I think maybe Jethro is a little smaller I mean, a little older. As we get older, we get smaller. And and Moses bent down to kiss his father-in-law. Now, I can picture this in my mind, a greeting. He bends down, he kisses, he hugs his neck. He is looking to bring peace to Jethro. And Jethro's looking to be peace to him. It could have been just a bow of respect and then a move in to love on one another. But they were both doing this to each other. And we know this from verse 7 where it says they greeted each other and then went into the tent. Now, we miss some of this in the translation in English. That word in the Hebrew is shalom. Anybody ever heard of shalom before? Shalom means peace, but it's not just the absence of conflict. It is the complete fullness and, um, and uh, everything is all right in my world type peace. And when it says they greeted each other, they were shaloming one another. Where Jethro wanted peace for Moses... And Moses wanted peace for Jethro. They wanted complete fullness in their household. This is what Jethro, I I like to imagine this is what he was thinking. I don't know if this is what he was thinking. This is what I like to imagine. It's not good for Moses' wife and kids to not be with Moses. I want to unite their family. This is how God works. When he says it's not good for you to be apart, but come back together. 
This is how God works when he brings order to chaos and he brings reconciliation and forgiveness in families. This is how God works in the church where he says, you one another, each other, have unity, have love, serve one another out of reverence for Christ. In humility, serve one another. If we're going to stop what Dr. Parsons calls a crisis and what Socrates says is the worst thing going on with our generation, we're going to have to one another each other. In unity and love and humility. We are going to have to seek peace for the other person. We are going to have to try to give shalom, peace, to somebody else. And let me just say... The more mature Christian is going to have to take the first step in this. It doesn't matter what age you are in maturity in Christ. You can be a 90-year-old, very mature Christian, or you can be a 90-year-old, very immature Christian. You can be a 30-year-old, immature Christian, or you can be a 30-year-old, very mature Christian. But wherever you fall on the age bracket, it doesn't matter where you fall in your maturity of Christ, you have to take the first step if you're the more mature Christ follower. Jethro seems to take the first step to reunite this family. When he sends a letter, he sends word to Moses. I don't know if he sent a letter. He probably sent a, a raven. He sends a letter. He sends word to Moses. I'm coming, and I'm bringing your family back to you. And then you're going to see in just a minute, Jethro does some other firsts in here. that I want us to notice that the first thing they did was they one another to each other. Love, unity, and humility. And they wanted peace for each other. They wanted to make sure that they were complete and whole. This is, this is another way God works. You can see why I don't get to the second half of this subject. I'm just, this passage is so great. This is how God works. He wants peace for us. He's the more mature person in our relationship. Between you and God, he's the more mature one. He's the one who tells you he loves you. He's the one who then shows you he loves you by sending Jesus Christ. He's the one who provides the sacrifice. He's the one who provides the meal. He's the one who does it. He's the, more, he's the one who wants to restore you in humility and unity and love. God does. This is how God works. This is how we are called to work, to act like God. The second thing I want you to notice is to fo- they focus on God's goodness. When they got together and they were serving one another in humility, they were seeking peace for one another, then they started talking about all the good things God had done. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, about all the hardships they've had to go through along the way, and about how God had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things God had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. They were talking about God's goodness when they got together. Their focus first was on worshiping God. When we gather together on Sunday, our focus first has to be about how awesome and great God is. And I think we try that. Sometimes we're better at it than others. But if we're going to counteract this cultural divide, this generational divide, we have to one another each other, and then we have to focus on God's goodness in each other. I love how Jethro, remember he's a priest, so he already knows about God, I, I am assuming, And he says this, he says, Praise be the Lord who rescued you. Verse 11, Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all other gods. Remember, in that culture, in that area, any spiritual power could be worshipped as a god with a little g. Not the greatest god, not the god who created these other little gods, but there were a bunch of little gods in the area. You could turn and worship and have idols to a bunch of little gods. Egypt did it. 
in the land that the, uh, the Israelites are going to do it. And in Midian, where Jethro lives, this country does it. They worship other gods. And Jethro, he said, you know, I know Yahweh's the greatest, but you are just reaffirming it to me. Yahweh is the greatest. That's the name God gives for himself. He's the greatest of all gods. Notice what Jethro does next. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices. The more mature Christian takes the first step. Jethro, in this instance, I'm casting the light, as maybe more mature. And he brings the sacrifice. He brings the meal. And not only did they focus on God's goodness, but then notice that they ate together worshiping God. I think one of the ways that we are going to uh, help conquer this generational divide is uh, next year in 2020, we're going to have to get together and eat together more often. And we're going to have to combine uh, intergenerationally these meals where our older women are with our younger women and they get to develop a relationship. And our older men are with our younger men and they get to develop a relationship. And the best way to develop a relationship is around food. I'm good at eating. Maybe not much else, but I can eat with anybody. And you know, there's something spiritual that happens when we eat together. And I think maybe we just haven't eaten together enough lately. You know what happens when we don't meet together, we don't eat together, we begin to demonize the other side. You can see this politically. You know, several years ago, all of our congressmen and representatives and senators lived in Washington, D.C. And they had to be together and meet together and eat together. And they ended up compromising a lot more often than what you see now. Is it the worst it's ever been? No, probably not. But does it feel like it's the worst it's ever been? Yeah, because that's what we're going through. But they don't really live together. They don't eat together. And they seem to be demonizing each other if you've paid any attention to any news. You know, generationally, we can do the same thing. If we don't eat together, we don't meet together, we end up saying things like, can you believe what they're doing? And you can just fill it in. You can do it from this generation to this generation, or you can throw from this generation to this generation. And we fill in the blanks. I don't like what they are doing. They don't understand. They have no idea. And not only do we demonize the other side, depend, it doesn't matter which side you're on, we also talk about the other side with our friends. This is called gossip and slander, which defeats the purpose of one another in each other. And so we have to have an understanding, and we get that by meeting together and eating together. And this is what Moses and Jethro do. This is a guideline. This is a pattern that follows all through Scripture. Talk about God's goodness. When you gather together, worship God together, eat together. Guys, don't get up yet. But we do that. Communion, guys, don't get up yet. I said this in the first hour, and all the guys got up, and I was like, well, I don't we, we gather together, we talk about God's goodness, and then we have this very teeny tiny meal together called communion. We are eating together. It's not the same as eating around the table. It's, it's definitely not the same as how they were eating together back when they started doing communion. But we do that. This pattern is set up 6,000 years ago in Exodus 18. It's a pattern God continues. 
In the New Testament, they met together in the temple and in their home. They prayed together, they worshiped God together, they learned about God, and they ate together. This is a pattern we continue 2,000 years later. We meet together when whichever place is convenient. Sometimes they met in the synagogue, sometimes they met in homes, sometimes they met in a school in the New Testament, it says. Whatever place is convenient. So we meet together in this building, and sometimes little groups meet all over this building. Sometimes we have a group that meets at Donato. Sometimes we have groups that meet in homes. Wherever it's convenient, we meet together, and we praise God together, and a lot of times we eat together. And if we're going to help defeat the generational divide and tension, we're going to have to do that more in 2020. So be on the lookout for this. One member of our church came up to me after the beginning of first service. He said, I don't know a lot of people here, and I'm so excited about eating with other people so I can know some more people. He said, I know very few. He said, at my last church that I went to, we ate together all the time. I knew a whole bunch more people. I said, Joe, it's coming. Just be ready, and then you're going to know too many people. I'm excited about how that's going to help build relationships and love and unity and humility among us. Because when you know somebody, you don't assume the worst about them when you disagree. If you don't know somebody, you assume the worst about them when you disagree. It's harder to talk that way. They one anothered each other. They focused on God's goodness. And then they ate together. They brought peace to each other. They were acting like God acts. This is the second half. Um, and this is why Moses, I think, sent away his wife and kids. And we're going to go really fast through this because we're, we're out of time. I, I, <laughs> I, I don't know for sure this is why Moses sent his wife and daughter away, but I think this is it. And I want you to notice this generational divide and tension, how it's solved. So they already have a relationship to each other. So Jethro, he can observe, he can ask questions, he can listen, and because he cares about the entire community, he offers advice that helps the entire community. If you want to help solve the generational divide and the generational tension in our church, follow that pattern, observe, ask questions, Listen, and then offer advice that is of God, you'll see Jethro do that, and helps everybody in the church. Watch how this works. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around, from morning, stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for all the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Now, I'm putting a little emphasis of my own in there. That's how I expect Jethro to talk, but maybe he said it really softly and politely and tenderly. But notice he observed. I think that's why Moses sent away his wife and daughter. He didn't have time, his wife and two sons. He didn't have time for them. All day from morning to evening, ever since he left Egypt, maybe not as soon as he left Egypt, all day he is spending being the judge for their conflicts. Now, I think this story is not told quite chronologically. I think uh, what's going to happen in the covenant 19 and 20, God's going to give him the Ten Commandments and the laws. I think he's already gotten that because he's at the foot of the mountain of the Lord. 
And I think he has the instructions and decrees. That's why all the people come to him. He's the one meeting with God as face to face. He's the one that has the Ten Commandments. He's the one who knows. And so people say, if you want to know the answer to what God says, go see Moses. And all day long, they line up to see him. And I think eventually that gets really hard at home. And he says, why don't you just go home to your dad for a little while? We'll try to work this out. That's what I think happened. Jethro asked him, why are you doing it this way? Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me. I decide between the parties, and then I inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, and notice his reply. It's after he observed, it's after he listened. And he, because he cares about the entire community, and he wants the kids gone. I just made that part up. What you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be, he reaffirms Moses' responsibility and position. Notice how he does that. If you're going to give advice to somebody and you think it's good advice, and you think it follows along with scriptural advice, reaffirm first. That's what Jethro does. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But, here's the advice part. Select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide for themselves. This will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. Now watch. Jethro refers Moses back again to God. It's, it's advice he thinks is good, but he says, hey, check with God. When we give advice to each other and we try to solve each other's problems, check with the Scripture. The Scripture teaches us how to think, and it gives very specific commands on how to do things most of the time. And if it doesn't give a specific command on how to live and how to behave and how to honor God, then it teaches you how to think and God speaks into our life today using his word and he gives us instructions for even today, even if he doesn't say specifically what it is. If you are loving God and loving one another, you're probably going to catch most of the instructions that he gives. If you are trying to keep the unity and peace by loving one another and serving each other out of humility, you're probably going to catch most of the instructions God gives. And so Jethro, he says, if you do this, and if God so commands, I love that line. If it's good advice, God's going to command it. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Can you imagine going home satisfied from church? We're supposed to. But if we don't follow the pattern God gives us, we will not go home satisfied. And it's on each one of us to be obedient. I love this response. If you are given advice, listen 
Inspect the word based on what you were given and do it. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men to be judges from all the people at all times. He made them leaders of people, officials over thousands, fifties, hundreds, and tens. They served as judges for the people. The difficult cases they still brought to Moses, the simple ones, simple cases they decided themselves. And I can say this because my mother-in-law is coming next week. She's not here today. This, for some people, especially if you're living at home, is one of the greatest lines in all of Scripture. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. Because just like sometimes grandkids, it's time to go home. Sometimes it's time for in-laws to go home. Now, what I think this is missing, and I don't think this is told chronologically, there is evidence over in Numbers that Jethro stayed for quite a while. You don't usually make trips like this and go home immediately. And I think it's good that he was able to stay. Big picture, you know, God always works the way Jethro told Moses to work. God seems to most often sit in his seat, his throne, and give out tasks for his servants to do. Moses was sitting in the seat of the judge to serve the people as judge, but he was forgetting to delegate responsibility and give authority to all the people in the community. When he started doing that, that set them up for chapter 19, where God says, I want you to be a nation of priests. And it sets up to be able to take in the covenant and be an example for all nations around. And it sets up what we do 6,000 years later when Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, we are a brotherhood of priests united under Christ. It's what Paul says when he says we are to be ambassadors for Christ. It's what Paul says in Ephesians 4, that everyone is gifted to serve in some way the body of believers. It is not up to the elders to do all the work. It's not up for the ministerial staff to do all the work. It's not up for the preacher to do all the work. It is up to everybody to work together and share the load. One another in each other, worshiping God, eating together, observing and listening, offering advice that's based on Scripture, and then listening to that advice and doing it, and going home with peace. Today, just like most days when we meet, we are going to worship together and then we're going to eat together. We're going to have communion. This is how we respond to what God tells us to do. We participate in communion as a response. Jesus says, when you gather together, do this in remembrance of me. For 1,800 years, give or take, Churches, when they got together, they would pray the Lord's Prayer and then take communion. It's only within the last 200 years that churches have kind of gotten rid of that pattern. And we've taken those words of Jesus that says, when you pray, recite these words, which I think is a slightly better interpretation. And then he gives the Lord's Prayer. 
And for about 1,800 years, every congregation would say the Lord's Prayer together. They would pray together and then eat. They would worship, telling of God's goodness, and then eat before communion. Today, can we do it that way? Can we say the Lord's Prayer together, found in Matthew chapter 6, and then move into communion together? Now, because we have two different, three different, four different generations in here, I've included the NIV translation and the KJV translation. The KJV is the one I grew up and memorized. I can quote Matthew 6, 9 through 13 in the King James Version better than I can quote it in the NIV Version. Just because that's how I grew up. So we're going to say the prayer twice. One in modern English that we all can understand. And one in the King James Version that is a beautiful display for words and poetry of God's word. Okay? Here is Matthew 6. Let's say this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And now the King James Version. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God, would you allow us to remember the sacrifice of Christ this morning as we participate in communion? Would you allow us to continue to trust you more as we remember by eating the bread that his body was beaten and hung on a cross and by drinking the juice, remember that his blood flowed and because his body was broken and because his blood flowed, we can have forgiveness of sins. Simultaneously, Lord, as we remember the sacrifice, would you also remind us of his resurrection that promises we will have new life, eternal life, forgiven life because of his sacrifice. And Lord, if it's your will, would you allow this time where we eat together to start healing some of our generational divide? It's in his name we pray. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, I ask that you would pray and consider partnering with us financially so that we could continue to minister here in our community and beyond. Visit us online at wcconline.org backslash donate to find out how you can be a part of what God is doing here. Thank you again for joining us, and I hope to see you back here next time.